Heavenly Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. As we come before you now, we pray that you will open our hearts and minds to hear what it is you have for us to say. Amen. I wonder if there's a chef or a cook that's your family go-to. You know what I mean? The person that you always think, oh, I know I'll find the recipe I want with them. Uh, maybe it's Mary Berry uh, or perhaps Mrs. Beaton, uh, Delia Smith or maybe Jamie Oliver. You'll have your own family favourites. Uh, for our family, it's Katie Stewart. Now, you might not have heard of Katie Stewart. Uh, she wrote a column for The Times and made a name for herself in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, in fact, she trained at the Westminster Hotel School, which is now the Kingsway College, just around the corner. Uh, but one of my most treasured possessions is this copy of Katie Stewart's The Times cookery book. Uh, it's a little beaten up. As you can see, it's lost its lovely cover that it once had, and the spine has been uh, repaired. I think this is my mum's handwriting on the side with the title of the book there. Uh, this copy of this cookbook was, in fact, my grandma's, and that's why it's a treasured possession. Uh, it's not the recipe for the chocolate layer cake, which is delicious, uh, nor is it the recipe for candied uh, oranges, which you can tell is a family favourite by how well used these pages are. Um, but it, as I say, it was my grandma's. And the reason why I treasure it especially is because it's full of little notes that she's written and uh, comments in the margins where she's made notes as she's cooked the various recipes and amended them. I love the story that this cookbook tells of how my family's been fed over the years. I don't know if you've noticed this watch that I'm wearing. I don't usually, I don't usually wear a watch at all, in fact, but I certainly don't usually wear this one. And this is another of my treasured possessions. Uh, this watch was my granny's, my dad's mum's watch. And when she died, I inherited it. It's not an expensive watch. It's not worth a lot. In fact, it doesn't even work. But like Katie, this is one of my most treasured possessions. And I treasure it because it was my granny's. Because it speaks about who she was. My granny was a nurse at the Edinburgh Royal in the 70s and 80s. And she worked in the psychiatric geriatric ward, which, as you can imagine, was quite a difficult job. Uh, granny trained as a nurse when she was in her 40s, just as my dad was going off to university. And so this watch tells something of who she was. She was determined and strong and compassionate. I'm sure that you have similarly treasured things, things perhaps that you've inherited from your parents or your grandparents or aunts or uncles or other loved ones. Our gospel passage today starts with a young man who's asking about his inheritance. They're having a disagreement. And sometimes that happens, doesn't it, when it comes to inheritance. And he wants Jesus to arbitrate in the disagreement he's having with his brother. In asking Jesus to intervene in their family matters, because we know this story and we know what's to come, we sort of immediately go, oh, who does he think he is asking Jesus about this? But actually, in asking Jesus uh, to dis uh, level this dispute between them, he was recognizing that Jesus had authority, that he was a rabbi, a teacher, 
and he had wisdom, and he could render a decision in their argument. It wasn't wrong in itself to ask the question or to be concerned with his inheritance. It would have been a fairly regular situation that happened. But Jesus, rather than offering a solution to the problem, says to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells that parable of the rich fool. Jesus' refusal to judge when asked by this younger brother isn't a judgment on inheritance. It's not a judgment on wealth either. It isn't wrong to be wealthy. Jesus, as he always does, sees beyond that surface level. He looks deeper. And his response speaks to the motivations of this younger brother, to his priorities. The rebuke that Jesus gives this man after he asks his question is pretty clear. Life doesn't consist in abundance of possessions. Or in other words, don't count your worth by what you own. The parable that Jesus tells further explains what he means. It's a story of a rich man whose fields have yielded an abundant harvest. And so now he has more than he will ever need. And he needs to decide what he's going to do with his unexpected bounty. So who does this man turn to in his joy and plenty? His family, his friends, the workers who helped in his fields? God, perhaps? Well, no. He only consults himself. In fact, he speaks in the first person 12 times in six verses. I counted. He thought to himself, what shall I do? This man's land has produced abundantly, and yet he expresses no sense of gratitude to God or to the workers who have helped him plant, tend, and harvest this bumper crop. He has more grain than he could ever hope to use. So much, in fact, that he has to tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store it all. But he has no thoughts of sharing it with others or of what God might want him to do with his plenty. Once again, it's not the actions in and of themselves that are wrong. It's not the storing of the grain. It's the motivation for doing it. There's another story in the Bible about an abundant harvest that's to be kept in giant storehouses. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh is having strange dreams and Joseph interprets them for him. And he says to Pharaoh, you need to store up this harvest. You need to keep it in large storehouses. But the reasoning here is quite different. Joseph says to Pharaoh, this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined. Joseph has listened to God and the grain is to be stored to help the people, to preserve the future of the people not for selfish or self-centered desires. This rich fool thought that he was preserving his future by storing up grain in huge barns. He thought to himself, now I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm all sorted. I have all that I need for years to come. And we do that too, don't we? We want to make sure that we have enough that our future is set, 
that we too can eat, drink, and be merry. Like this man, we think, when I have enough, then I'll relax. Then I'll make time for my family. Then I'll read those books or pursue that hobby. We too are tempted to think that having large amounts of money or possessions stored up will make us secure. But no amount of wealth or property can secure our lives. What was true for that rich man is true for us. No matter how much we have, we are always aware of the things we don't have. In our world, we are constantly bombarded, aren't we, by adverts and marketing that try to convince us of all the things that we need to complete our lives. And so we always just need that next thing, just like Lansford was talking about earlier. We just need that next iPhone, and then we'll have enough. The truth is, no amount of material possessions will give us the fullness of life that we are given in God. Jesus repeatedly warns that wealth can get in the way of our relationship with God. Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, he says. It's not that God doesn't want us to save for our retirement or for our future needs. The warning here is not to let worry about these things overtake our lives, not to let our concern for our own future mean that we aren't generous to those in need now or willing to follow God's plans. When I was teaching, I felt the call of God on my life. I knew that God had a plan that he wanted me to follow. And I thought, well, I'll just teach for a few more years until I've got a house. Because then when I retire, after ministry, I'll be fine. I'll be all set up. And I kept saying this, when I've, when I've saved enough to have a house, then, then I'll respond to your call, God. But of course, in the end, I had to just trust God. I had to say, if this is what God is calling my life to be, then I need to step out in faith and trust that God will provide. And that is what we all have to do. We can never save enough. We need to trust in God. So it's not that God doesn't want us to have things. He just doesn't want those things to be the centre of our lives. And nor is it that God doesn't want us to eat, drink and be merry and enjoy all the things that God has given to us. That is definitely not the message of Jesus. Jesus came that we might have life to the full. Consider the example of Jesus' life itself. So often hear of him eating and drinking with friends whether it's the wedding at Cana, inviting himself for a meal with Zacchaeus, eating with Pharisees or sharing meals with his disciples. Jesus often ate, drank and was merry. The difference is that Jesus' focus was on relationships, on being with others, not on finding and storing things, but on building relationships with those around him. And of course, with God the Father. The foolishness here isn't wealth, it's greed. It's a warning for us all, for we can all be greedy no matter how much we have. Greed often comes from a place of fear. Fear that we won't have enough. Fear that disaster will strike and we will struggle. 
fear for ourselves and fear for those that we love. And Jesus addresses this directly in the verses following those that we heard today. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about what you will drink, about your body and what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. It's perfectly understandable to have concerns about the future, but we shouldn't let them overtake us or let them become the central thought in our decision-making. When we do that, we become like the foolish man in the parable. Psalm 49 that Abdul read for us also speaks about this false sense of security that we get from wealth and possessions. Though while they, those who live, they count themselves blessed, and the people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them who will never again see the light of life. The psalmist is warning against putting our trust in the things of this world. Wisdom, they say, is in trusting God who will redeem us. But foolishness is trusting in ourselves and in our wealth, in things which do not endure. Just like the psalmist is describing, the rich man is a fool because he thought that his treasure was his possessions and his wealth. He put his trust in the things of this world that will fade rather than in the things of God that will last forever. Just as this man thinks that he has everything, that he's all sorted, all planned out for the rest of his life to eat, drink and be merry, just then is when God comes and says to him, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get all that you have prepared for yourself? This man cannot take his hoarded grain to the grave. The wise person is the one who is rich toward God, the one who is generous to those in need. In this parable, we're reminded of the wisdom of God and the often foolishness of humans, of how the kingdom of God turns the values of this world upside down. In the topsy-turvy kingdom of God, the greedy are poor, and the poor are blessed. This parable is about priorities. It's about who God is in our lives. It's about how we invest in our lives and the gifts that God has given to us. I guess the question fundamentally is, how are our lives aligned? Are we focused on ourselves and our passing desires? Or are we concerned with God and our neighbour? and life everlasting. So what are the things that we treasure? What are the things that we hold tightly to? There's nothing wrong with valuing the precious things in this world, just like Katie and the watch. It is important to value them and the stories that they tell. But we need to have our priorities in line and recognize the worth that they hold and the limit of that worth, to remember that the true riches of life are found in and through Jesus, who came that we might have life in all its fullness, in this world and the next. Amen.